0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in 1 John. For previous messages or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. It has been amazing being here. Uh, we came nine months ago, so last August, and, and jumped right in. And it has just been incredible to, to get to know you all and to serve here at Stone Oak Bible, as well as to get to know the city of San Antonio. And how many of you are originally from San Antonio? Man, it's it's an awesome city, and I love how transient it is too. You get to meet people from all over here, and it's just a, a, an amazing city that has so many great opportunities and just affords so much. And one of the things that my wife and I really, really like about San Antonio, we really enjoy, is the many opportunities to enjoy great Mexican food. If you guys have a great Mexican, yeah, amen, right? If you have a Mexican restaurant that you're like, dude, this is the place you gotta go, please, that will bless my heart if you come and tell me that this morning. So please tell me I love Mexican food. Um, but before I, I lived here, we lived in Connecticut, and that is not a great place to go for Mexican food. And before that, I lived in the suburbs of Chicago. And that also, if you want Polish food, great, but not Mexican food. And, and so uh, there was one Mexican joint that I would hit up in college and in seminary that was like the Mecca of Mexican food in my eyes. Chipotle. Have you ever been to Chipotle, right? And down here you're like, dude, that's not real Mexican food, right? So we'd go to Chipotle and, you know, grab a burrito. But my favorite day probably on the, in the, on the planet, aside from my children being born and marrying my wife, it was free burrito day for students at Chipotle. And all you had to do was show up with your student ID and you'd get a free burrito. And so we were like, dude, that is awesome. So we'd go, we'd go to Chipotle and I made the big mistake one time of going at six o'clock Um, which was dinner time for all these hungry college students and seminary students. And so we went, in the line, I'm not even joking you, was probably like an hour, hour and 15 minute wait that snaked out of Chipotle. But we were like, dude... We're, we're, we're poor college kids and seminary students. This is, this is worth it, right? We're gonna get a free burrito. So we waited and I was with my buddy and we waited and snaked, a, you know, the line snaked around and finally we got like towards the front and I'm like starting to smell it and starting to think, okay, I want, I want pinto beans. I'm like getting excited, right, about this burrito. My mouth is starting to water. And I see, I look out of the corner of my eye and I see the door fling open and there's this guy that walks in and he just kind of pushes his way through the line goes right up to the front, pulls out his student ID, shows his student ID, and gets his free burrito and walks out. And he turns, and I hear him say, he snickers, and he's like, that's how it's done. Still going to be on time. And he leaves. And I'm sitting there going, oh, oh no, he didn't. Oh no, he did I just spent an hour and 15 minutes in line. This dude just goes to the front. Are you kidding me? And I was like, dude, I want to go give that guy a piece of my mind. And I was angry. I was like, you know what, I'm, it's not worth it, I'm not going to say anything. Turns out, the next semester, I had a seminary class with this guy. and I was like, ugh. And the way he would talk to people was just kind of condescending and, and off-putting. I was like, man, this guy's a jerk. I want nothing to do with this guy. And so one of my good friends, who's a lot more godly than I am, took it upon himself to want to befriend this guy. And so he said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really want to know what's going on with this guy and get to know him, and, and I'm just going to pursue him and get to, get to know this guy. And so started connecting. They had a group project together, and he wanted to be in this guy's group. And so they started to talk, and this guy actually made a comment to my friend about how oh, he doesn't like people. And he doesn't really want to be around people, doesn't like people, and doesn't really even like Christians. And he's a seminary student, right? And so my friend asked him, he said, are you a Christian? The guy said, well, of course I'm a Christian. And he said that Well, isn't it essential in Christianity that you have to love other people? Isn't that a core tenet of what it means to follow Jesus, that you're going to have a love for other people? And the guy didn't say anything, and he was just kind of quiet, because my friend knew that if you follow Jesus Christ, and if you really, truly love God and have a relationship with God, a necessary byproduct of that is going to be that you love others, and that's what our text picks up on this morning, and we're going to be in First John chapter 4, starting with verse 7 in a few minutes. But if you've been with us, and please, you know, please turn there now, but if you've been with us at Stone Oak Bible over the last few months... We've been journeying through this letter of 1 John. And John wrote this letter to the early church. And what's so kind of cool about this is that John was the last remaining uh, disciple who was still alive. All the other ones had had passed away. John was the the last remaining one who had this close, intimate account of the life of Jesus and was there to witness Jesus' life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, that, that John is the last remaining eyewitness. So the early church would have looked at John, and John had a tremendous amount of credibility for them. And as John writes this letter to them, as we've talked about many times, they were kind of in this fragile place where they were... They were um, going through a lot of transition in the early church and there were some false teachers that had been influenced by the philosophy of their day and it started to infiltrate the church and people started to follow them and it started to influence what they were believing and so there was actually a group of people that left the church and so now other people are standing around going, what is going on? There are these leaders and these teachers and and they're leaving and other people are leaving and and so John writes this letter not only to combat the false teaching and say, hey, wait, wait, they're, they're wrong but also to encourage them, encourage the early church to continue to walk in the truth, continue in the gospel. You know, many scholars in, in talking about 1 John have said that it's a difficult book to outline. Like some books are pretty straightforward and you can kind of, oh, this section he talks about this, and this section he talks about this, and this section he talks about this. But First John is kind of hard to outline because he'll talk about something and then a little bit later he'll revisit it, and then he'll revisit it again. And so sometimes it's like, man, this guy's talking from the department of redundancy department, right? He like says something and then he says it again and then he says it again and you're like, what is he, what is he doing? Why is he talking about this? And this, this idea that we're gonna see in our text today of to love one another, we just talked about a few weeks back because it's not new to the book of First John. It's not new to us in this series because we preach through the Bible, through books of the Bible, verse by verse so that when they revisit a concept, so we revisit a concept. And so in our text this morning, John presses into this idea of Christians loving each other out of our love for God. And it begins to give us reasons as to why Christians love each other. Again, we're going to be in 1 John 4, starting with verse 7. But before we dive into that, I'm just going to pray again to ask God's Spirit to really be with us today. Father, I I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for how you're moving. I thank you that you are a God who is alive and living and active. And Lord, you are a God who, who is moving All around the world, and there are literally billions of people in the world, and you know each and every one of them by name. And God, yet you're moving in our church as well and in our community, and and we're seeing incredible things happen through the power of your spirit. And God, we're so encouraged, and as we have the opportunity today that so many around the world don't, to gather freely in the name of Jesus Christ and study your word, God, I pray you would open our hearts, that you'd open our minds. Lord, that we would have a real encounter with you that the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that wrote this book, that you'd open our hearts and that you'd speak through me. God, you know, and I know, and everybody else knows that my craft has nothing to offer, but God, I thank you for the promises of your word that when it goes forward, it does not return void. And so, Lord, we're clinging to that today and pray we would leave here empowered to live lives of love for your glory and honor, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So John revisits this idea of love. And in this text, he talks about the reasons as to why we love each other. Why do we as Christians love one another? And the first thing he says is that we love one another because God is love and God is the source of love. God is love and God is the source of love. Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So God is love and God is the source of love. Notice it says two things in these verses, okay? Verse 7, love is from God. And then verse 8, God is love. Wait, love is from God, but he is love. How, is, how, is, how does all that work? And I heard this explained, that when John says uh, that that love is from God, he doesn't mean it the same way that letters are from a mailman or even you get a letter from a friend. But John means that love is from God the way that heat is from fire or the way that light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature and is central to who God is. It's woven into who he is. Love is part of what it means for him to be God. The sun gives light because it is light. Fire gives heat because it is heat. And God gives love because he is love. Love is inerrant in all he is and in all God does. God is love and he is the source of love. I've been thinking about this a lot this week and had some really, really thought-provoking discussions about this because we, we see expressions of love all around us, right? I mean, you see people, you know, that, that love um, inside and outside of the church, right? And why is that? And I had some really, really thought, like I said, thought-provoking discussions because why? And ultimately, it's because we are all is people created in the image of God. And the Latin term that's used to describe that is the imago Dei, that we're made in God's image. And you're created in the image of God and you're made to be like God. And out of that is, is that God is love and so he made you into that love. And we've been marred and tainted by the fall and by sin. And so you see different imperfect expressions of that love around you, right? But, but it ultimately comes from God, who's the source of love. Some people say, oh, man, that guy's so loving. He's just a good guy. Or, oh, that love comes from human philanthropy or goodwill or our emotions. But God is love, and he's the source of love as our creator, John says that if you truly, really know God, have a relationship with him, you will know true love because it's impossible to know God without knowing love because love is at the very core of who God is. John goes so far as to say that if you do not love, then you do not know God. If you don't love, then you do not know God. And it's because, it's because your vertical relationship automatically affects your horizontal relationship with others. And John tells us that we love him because he first loved us. Love starts with God, he's the source of love. It doesn't come from us, it doesn't come from who we are, but we love because he first loved us. We love God because he first loved us and we love others because God loved us. John bookends this text with a charge to love one another out of God's love for us. And it's impossible to know God without loving each other. Man, if you really know God who's loved, then you will love your brothers and sisters. And as I was thinking about this, it makes sense to me because I have a little girl named Karis who's four years old. And if she came to me and was like, Daddy, I love you, I would say, "Oh, thank you, sweetie. I love you too. And I'd be like, "Oh, that's so great. And if Karis said, You know what, Dad? But I don't really like my sisters. I don't want to be around them. They really annoy me. Matter of fact, I don't want anything to do with them. Can you just make them go away? I don't want to be around my sisters. That would do something to me as a dad. That would make me, that would really rip at my heart and grieve my heart as a father. You'd be like, hey, you love me, but you don't love your sisters. There would be something, and I can't even necessarily even put into words why, but that would just irk me because I love my daughters. And part of how Karis can show me that she loves me is that she loves her sisters. And I know that that's an imperfect illustration this morning because ultimately God is our source of love and gives us the motivation to love others. But but there's something about your children loving each other that really blesses your heart as a father. And God says, look, if, John says, if you know the father, if you know him and experience his love, then you're going to love your brothers and sisters. You know, a lot of times we talk about this and, I'm pretty sure for most of you, this is not a novel concept. Sometimes it's hard to get up and, you know, to study a text that, that, that we're probably familiar with. I mean, most of you probably came to church this morning and, and you knew that God is a God who loves. And most of you know that we're supposed to love each other, right? I mean, that, we just talked about that. That's not a novel concept. And a lot of times we're really good at, in the church at description, God is love, okay? And we're to love each other. We know we know the description. We're good at describing things. But when it comes to prescription or how do we live, how do we live in light of that love? How do we love each other? What does that actually look like? Sometimes we lack in that area. And we, we leave and we're like, Wait, well, well, I got that, but what is that actually gonna mean for me? And so I think the takeaway here just in a practical sense is if, if God really is the source of love and he is love, and we need to go to the source. We need to spend time with God. We need to allow his, his love to wash over us, allow it to transform us and to sink into who we are. And I just want you to think for one second with me this morning. God, God, the creator, the maker, the sustainer of all things. If you go and you, you know, drive up to some of these state parks in Texas, it's just beautiful. And you're like, man, God made that. Wow creator made that. God is so big. He just is so, you can't even put into words. He's indescribable how big and how majestic and how mighty and how sovereign he is. God loves you. God loves me. That truth, sometimes you just become so casual with it. Like, yeah, God loves me. That's so cool. Really? God loves me and allow that love to wash over you. Spend time with the source of love through his word. Go out into creation. Talk about that love. Allow it to sink into who you are. Spend time with the source of love and allow part of that to overflow in you in the way that you treat others. So then John shifts and talks about the second reason as to why we love one another. And he says that we love to follow the supreme example of God's sacrificial love by sending Jesus. We love to follow the supreme example of God's sacrificial love by sending Jesus. Verse nine says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John tells us in these verses that the great manifestation or the embodiment of God's love is that God sent his son. He says that in verse 9 and in verse 10, that we, God, God loves us, so God sent his son. God loves us, so God sent his son. And again, we see this repetition come into play. But John gives us a reason as to why God sent his son, and the reason is to why it's love, it's the propitiation. That's what makes the sending to be love, is the propitiation. And my guess is at our church breakfast this morning, and if you ask somebody, hey, what are you thinking about right now? They're probably not like, oh, oh, propitiation. You know, that's that's not a word that you oftentimes, hey, I'm gonna wake up and make some bacon and eggs and talk to my wife about propitiation. Like, it's not a word we oftentimes use. But what does that word really mean? And it means that Jesus came to satisfy the wrath of God for us or to bear our punishment and to appease the wrath of God and that Jesus removed the wrath of God from us. Think about this for a second because the theology or the understanding of who God is in this little verse is just so huge and so massive. I mean, it's enough to just, you know, make you really just, make your head hurt like crazy. And that, that, that this means that God's love was to send his son to bear our just penalty and to to remove his wrath. The greatest manifestation of the love of God is also his unilateral action to satisfy his own wrath. God didn't lower his standards and be like, hey, Mike, you know what? I I know you're a sinner. I love you, so I'm just gonna look the other way and, and I'm just gonna let you just come in, right? You're gonna be able to go into heaven and I'm not gonna do anything because you can just come with me. Don't have to send my son. It's okay, you just come, He didn't do that and he couldn't do that because God is holy and his standards are holiness and he needs to to be in the presence of righteousness and cannot be in a relationship with sinners. And so he sent Jesus to remove my sin and to remove his, his wrath so that I could be made right with him. And then he calls it love. He demonstrated his love by sending his son to satisfy his wrath and become sin for us so that in Jesus Christ we might become the righteousness of God, and, and he talks about how Jesus did this, and we talked about it two weeks ago in 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. The Son became the manifestation of God's nature by laying down his life for you, by laying down his life for me. And John says, this is who God is. This is love. This is God's love on display. You know, I think one of the things that's hard for us today, and the reason that we may even struggle to, to just experience this power of this truth, is that we throw around the word love a lot. Hey, I love pizza. I love Texas Longhorns football. I love the San Antonio Spurs. I love to go to the park with my family. I love church breakfasts. And yet we say, hey, I love you. I love God. And it's like, wait, what? what, well, what does that mean? We just kind of say it and just scatter it all over the place, and we don't know really what that word truly, and we oftentimes lose sight of what that word actually really means. And the Greek language is a lot better than the English language in describing love because it uses three words. The first one is phileo, um, which is a brotherly love in Philadelphia. is a city of brotherly love comes from that word. It's like a friendship kind of love. And the, the second um, is eros. Which is um, the romantic kind of love. Uh, and then the, the third one is this agape love. And that's the word that, that John uses. And, and this word agape isn't the emotional love that a lot of times we talk about when it comes to like romantic relationships. It, but it, it isn't something that's fleeting and that vanishes when our feelings run out. But this kind of agape love that God has shown us is eternal, it's constant, and it's steadfast. It's a love that's unwavering, it's unconditional, it's limitless, and it's boundless. A love that runs deep and it never runs out. A love that you cannot earn and a love that you cannot lose. This is what love is. And this is the kind of love that John says, hey, Jesus has shown this to us and you need to show it to each other. And if this is the way that God is and Jesus is, this is the way you ought to be. And when John says we ought to love each other, He doesn't mean, hey, maybe we should. This would be a good idea if we love each other. But he means we ought to love each other the way that fish ought to be in water and birds ought to fly in the air. Living creatures ought to breathe and lemons ought to be sour. Christians ought to love. It's part of who we are. This is our identity. And I heard a pastor say it well, that this is who we are. This is just not mere imitation For the children of God, imitation becomes realization. We're realizing who we are meant to be when we love. God's seed is in us. God's spirit is in us. God's nature is in us. And God's love is being perfected in us. Through the gospel, and through Jesus paying our penalty for our sins and being the propitiation removing the wrath of God, we're able to be drawn into God's true love and realize the very purpose for who we are created to be, people who, who love God and love each other. I mean, right? That's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, as I was thinking about this letter and thinking about John, the, the, the last apostle, who had this intimate account of the life of Jesus, the last really close friend of Jesus that was still alive, writes this letter to the early church. And as he's writing, I couldn't help but imagine what John was feeling. Like, just try to imagine this for a second. This old man who's walked through life, literally his life with Jesus, he was the disciple that Jesus loved. That was who John was. That's what the description of John, the disciple who Jesus loved did life with Christ, followed Christ. And he was there and he stood at the foot of the cross with the mother of Jesus. And I can't imagine how emotional that was. Not only did John have to watch it and watch Jesus be murdered and crucified for him, he was standing next to his mom, his mom. And Jesus looked at John and said, hey, hey son, hey, behold your mother. John, take care of her. Take care of my mama, John. And he's standing there and he's watching Jesus pour out his life. Give of himself, be murdered on the cross to be the propitiation for his sins. And John's like, hey, I saw this, I was there, I witnessed it, I experienced it. And I don't know, was John giddy? Was John giddy and excited and maybe even laughing when he wrote this? Like, man, you guys don't even know love. Man, I can't even I can't even describe to you what this kind of love is that Jesus removed your sins. Or was he in tears? Was he just broken and saying, you guys don't know what Jesus has done for you. I was there. I witnessed it. I experienced it. I saw it. I saw God satisfy his own wrath, and he called it love, and now go and love. What was he feeling? I can't imagine what this man must have been feeling. And I think when John said, hey, go love each other, I don't know that he was talking about, hey, man, go, go check in on each other once a week and just say, hey, man, I love you, brother. I wonder, do we even know what it's like to tap into this love? You know, I, uh, I was gone two weeks ago. I was in North Carolina doing a wedding and, um, and Justin preached on this and so I went back and I listened to it And he did a phenomenal job of taking this and to use a a word that I, it's not really a word, but making it grabbable for us, right? Something we can grab onto that's tangible and get our hands on. And he talked about this. And so I'm going to just go ahead and plagiarize right now from Justin. And I want to read this to you because this is exactly what we talked about two weeks ago. And I think it's a healthy checkup for us. He says, how are we tangibly loving each other here at Stone Oak Bible Church? How are we actually doing this? What does this look like for you? And then he, he challenged us. He was very prescriptive. He said, hey, stop, look around the room. Do you guys remember that? He said, look around the room. If you're called to lay your life down as Jesus did for those in this room, would you really do that? Do you even know those around you enough to even answer that question? Would you lay down your life for those in our church? And, you know, that question is like, yeah, uh, that's a pretty big question. Like, would I die for you? I've got a wife and kids. Uh, yeah, maybe, yeah, probably. I'd like to think that I would. But then he really, like, hit you right between the eyes. And he said, listen, would you be willing to give of your time for those in our church? Would you be willing to give of your resources and of your money for those in our church? Are you going to create margin in your life to love for many of us, we don't even see the needs of those around us, and before we can meet those needs and love people, we have to be willing to open our eyes and to look around us, and he challenged us in that, and he's so incredibly right, and so many of us are so focused on ourselves, that we don't even have margin in our lives. You know, we had such a rich discussion at our community group that night, because I actually got back in time to go to our community group, and it was kinda cool for me not being in the service and just hearing what people's response was to the message, and one of the guys said, you know, creating margin in our lives, like that concept is just so flawed at the way we look at ourselves, like margin, really? I've got a, my schedule so busy and I'm so focused that I'm trying to figure out how to love. And, and that was Justin's point. He's like, we have time, we have resources, we, we have uh, talents and treasures that God has given us and he wants us to use it for his glory and he wants us to use it to follow the example of Jesus and to lay down our lives. And are we really doing that? And John says in this text, go, do it. Lay down your life like Christ did to be the propitiation for your sins. And so how are we doing that here? This is kind of your two-week checkup on that. Did you take time to evaluate your resources? Did you take time to evaluate your time? And say, how am I spending my time? Am I really creating margin to be able to love others well? How are we as a church doing that. And you know what? Sometimes you can come up here and, and you can almost, I've, I've like sat where you're sitting. I'm not, not here because I think Justin's actually really, really good at this, but some, some pastors get up and they give a message and they make you feel like garbage, right? You're just like, ugh. And you just get blasted and they keep throwing hooks. And, and, and this is a call for me to really, truly look at myself. And you know what? We see that here. We see expressions of love and people loving each other and serving each other. And and Justin shared with me about this incredible uh, story he heard about a a, a woman that came here that that truly is experiencing this love and never had, had experienced that in the church before. And this is so amazing. And John says, hey, walk in this, do it, live in it. And then John shifts and he talks about another reason as to why we as Christians love. And he says, we love because God has given us his Holy Spirit. Verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. God, who is love, the source of love, is love, has given us his Holy Spirit, who dwells in us. Justin has said many times throughout this this, uh, this series that you are loved by the Father, You've been purchased by the Son and you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And we we see that in spades in this text and John puts the Holy Spirit right in the middle of this section on love because look, you know you abide in God who is love because he's given you his spirit. Pastor, author, and writer John Piper really explains this point very well. He says, if anyone ever asks you, how does the fact that God loves you result in you loving others? The answer is this. The new birth creates that connection. The new birth is the act of the Holy Spirit connecting our dead, selfish hearts with God's living, loving heart so that his life becomes our life and his love becomes our love. John's point is that when you're given the Holy Spirit of the living God, this aspect of God's nature becomes who you are. God's nature is love. And when we're given his Holy Spirit, it, that love begins to take root in our lives and to shed itself about in our lives. <clears throat> in verse 12, it says, it says this. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love becomes perfected in us. When you believe in Jesus and when you trust in him to save you from your sins and to make you right with God, you receive the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about before but the Holy Spirit produces fruit, in our lives. And you know what the first one word that it says, produce fruit? love, it produces this fruit in our lives. And, and the, the aim is that his love is perfected in you. Notice it says in verse 12, his love. The love that you have as a born again person is not a mere imitation of this divine love. It's, see, we experience this divine love and it become, we become an extension of that to others. And, and as a believer in Jesus, we are able to love with the love of Christ himself, this love that has been redeemed and perfected through Christ's death and resurrection has been perfected, and we're empowered through the Holy Spirit to love. You know, at lunch this week, I was talking about this with a friend, and, and he, he, uh, we were talking about, like, love, and how do we love? He said, you know, I think the difference for us as Christians is that we don't love in our own strength. Do we have the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God that dwells in us, that that moves in us and allows us to be people of love, allows us to be people of love? And Paul says the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells in us and lives in you. So I think that, that, that there's two questions as far as prescription that we have to ask ourselves today in light of this text is number one, do you believe that? that the Holy Spirit of the living God lives in you. Do you believe that? And then the next question is, are you open to the Holy Spirit? Are you open to allowing him to produce fruit in your life? And are you willing to, as John Piper says, to allow the Holy Spirit to connect our selfish hearts with God's living, loving heart? Are you open? Like if you were to describe yourself today and we were to use the analogy of a fist, to your openness to the Holy Spirit, where are you? Are you like this? Or are you open to his leading? And maybe some of you are like, yeah, I believe it. Don't really know what that looks like. You need to kind of live more in it. I don't know, but, but, but I want to be like this. And so how do we do that? And I think the first thing we need to do is ask, God, would you allow me, would you open my heart? Would you open my eyes? Would you allow your spirit to move in me and to produce this kind of love in me? Allow your spirit to do for me what I cannot do for myself and and to to align me with your heart, God, and to allow me to love others. Be open. And and I think the other thing, too, is to spend time in God's word, which was written by the Holy Spirit, because the word of God, as it says, is living and active, and that it penetrates our hearts. And we're allowed to, to experience through the Holy Spirit that wrote this. He does something in our heart that makes us more like Jesus. We're able to abide in God and to know this love and to show this love to others because he's given us his Holy Spirit, which dwells in us. And then John says we're able to have confidence. And that shifts us to our our, our fourth point this morning. He says that we love because love is the Christian's assurance and gives us confidence on the day of judgment. If you've been here at all in this series, you know that this idea of, of being sure or assurance is not new. And again, John just keeps revisiting these concepts. And and he talks a lot about knowing. Hey, you need to know that you know that you know. No, 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 no. It's all over, K-N-O-W. All, no, no, all over the book of 1 John. He talks a lot about needing to be sure because they were in this fragile state and they were were not certain about what was going on. And, And John says, you can know. And he uses this word over 77 times throughout his letter. And assurance is a big deal for John, and he talks a lot about it. And he says here that you can have confidence by the way you love each other for the day of judgment. For the day of, you can have confidence for the day of judgment. And this applies judgment day, where we're all gonna stand before God. We're all gonna stand before God, and he's gonna look at us, and, and some are gonna go to heaven, and some are gonna go to hell, and you're gonna stand before God. And John says, look, you can have confidence on judgment day. Think about that for a minute. I I tell you, I, you know, have had various bosses throughout my life, and any time the boss says, hey, I need to have a meeting with you, you kind of have this little, like, what? A little bit of anxiety, right? I mean, you've probably all experienced that maybe in some level that you're like, wait a minute, I'm I'm going into, and I I don't know that confident is the word that I I would use in in some of those terms because there's this kind of healthy reverence that you have. But John says, hey, if you really are are loving one another and love is a sign that you know God, that you've been abiding in his Holy Spirit, you can walk into that meeting and you can have confidence. On the day of judgment, when you stand before the creator of the universe, you can have confidence. And you don't have to have fear. And he says later on that perfect love casts out fear because we don't even have to be fearful that this is coming because of the love that we have for each other. And so do we have to ask ourselves, are we confident? We could say, hey, you know, I know that this love isn't what saves me, but this love is a marker that I've been saved. This love is a marker that, that the Holy Spirit abides in me. And I can look at my life and I can say, yeah, yeah, you know what, I'm not perfect and we're never gonna be perfect. We're still gonna be sinners who struggle on, on this side of eternity, but but, but, yeah, you know, I look at my life in the way that I'm loving and yeah, I'm confident. Can we say that by the way that we're living, and we have to analyze ourselves in light of this text. This is pretty sobering for us to really, truly look at our lives and say, yeah, I'm pretty confident. I'm confident. Can you say that today? John lastly then shifts and and talks about the the final reason in this text that, that we love, and he says that we love because love is the heart of Christian witness. It says in verse 14, we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And then drops down in verse 17, it says, because as he is, so also are we in the world. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. Love started with God, as we we said, he's a source of love, was manifested by his son and is demonstrated by his people. Love started with God, is manifested by his son and is demonstrated by his people. John says that no one who, who's living can see God's lo- God himself loving because God's invisible and Jesus is no longer here to manifest God's lo- love for us. So now God has the church, he's instituted the church to be the demonstration of this love. And John in his gospel in chapter 13 talks about this when Jesus looks at his disciples. And again, I like to imagine being there. When Jesus looks at these people in, his, in their eyes and says, they will know, he said, Listen, by this the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, love is a defining characteristic so that people in the world will know who he is and be pointed to him. Jesus says, look, love is gonna be the marker that people see my followers and say, man, Something's going on there and and ultimately be drawn to Jesus and to the gospel because of the way we love each other. You know, um, some of you may be familiar that on Tuesday mornings at 9 o'clock, a group of us gather to talk about the text, the upcoming text for the week, and um, we want to invite all of you into that. That would be amazing if we could have like a large group of us come, and if you want more information about how you can join us, talk to myself or Craig or Justin, and we'd love to to give you directions and how you can meet us, but this particular uh, Tuesday morning was very rich for me in this discussion, because we talked about this, about loving one another, and Jesus saying, hey, this is how the world's gonna know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And someone in the room, an anonymous lead pastor here at Stone Oak Bible Church said, was Jesus lying when he said that? Was Jesus lying when he said that? And clearly, he wasn't saying that Jesus is a liar. He, that wasn't his point at all, but, he was, but what, he was, what he was saying is that, that love is to be the center of, of who we are as his disciples. And, and is that really how the world knows that we're followers of Jesus? Is that really it? And this is a gut check for us. That love is to be what defines us. And oftentimes we get together, we talk about all oh, the love of God and oh, we should love each other. And is that really what the world thinks? Is that how the world knows that we're Christians and followers of Jesus because we love each other? You know, in, in many, many surveys, Multiple surveys over the last several years, they ask people, hey, what do you think about Christians? Well, ask non-Christians, what do you think about Christians? And you know the three top descriptors they gave? They're hypocritical, they're judgmental, and they're homophobic. Not they're loving, but they're hypocritical. They, they say one thing and do another. They're judgmental. They look down on me because I don't believe what they believe or live how they live. And they're afraid of gay people. That's what we think about Christians. That is so incredibly sad. Because oftentimes we gather together and, and we, we huddle up and we, we, we talk about this stuff. And then we go about our lives and don't actually do what it is that we're supposed to do. And we're not living out this love. And I heard this analogy that really helped me understand this idea. And I want you to bear with me for a second. If we, um, I don't know how many of you are Dallas Cowboy fans. Any Cowboy fans here? I feel bad for you, but but yeah, Dallas Cowboy fans. I want you to to imagine for a minute that Jerry Jones, who's the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, heard about what was going on at Stone Oak Bible Church and said, hey, I'm gonna send four party buses And I'm gonna pick up everybody at Stone Oak Bible and and bust you up to our home opener versus the New York Giants. And whether you're a football fan or not, you're like, hey, this is pretty cool. I wanna go and I wanna check this out because we get a free all expenses trip paid, get free food. And Jerry Jones is sweet to be able to go and watch the opening day. And so we have a sunrise service it's 6 a.m., and then we all board this party bus, and we head up to Dallas to go watch the Cowboys play the Giants. I want you to envision for a minute, we walk into this huge stadium, right, and you're just like, wow, this is pretty cool. We're, we're in Jerry World, right, and and we have a personal escort that takes us up to our own Stone Oak Bible suite, and we get to sit there, and the, the Cowboys are on the field kind of practicing a little bit, and then they go back in the locker rooms, and there's pregame festivities, and people are all hyped and excited about what's about to happen, and man, this is so great. And so we are eating all this free food. And then, and then we're like, man, the suspense is building because here come the Cowboys. And they run out onto the field. And man, everybody's super excited. The, the season's about to start. The game's about to be played. And we are super pumped up. And well, like I said, whether you like football or not, the atmosphere is just electric. And you're like, yeah, this is, this is pretty cool. And so you're sitting there, you're watching this. And they have the coin toss. And the Cowboys are going to get the ball first. And so the Giants kick off, and, and it's a touchback. So that means the, the Cowboys get the ball on the 20-yard line, and, and Tony Romo runs out onto the field after his 89th collarbone injury, right? And he, he's back, and he goes back onto the field, hobbles onto the field, the old man that he is, right? And he gets into the huddle, and he calls a play. And he says, ready, break. And imagine that they all run back to the sidelines. And they talk to the head coach, and then they all run back out and they huddle up, and they call a play, and we're like, okay, that was really weird. Why did they just do that? That was really weird, but man, okay, now they're gonna run the play, ready? Ready, break, and then they run back off to the sidelines, and we'd be like, what's going on? And then they huddle up, and then they run back off, and then they huddle up, and then they run back off, and they don't do the play that they're supposed to run. And I wonder, I have to wonder, is this sometimes how people view us as the church? Man, hey, they're gathering together, and they're huddling up, and they got their playbook, Man, they're calling a play from their playbook, and you know what? It's a really good play. It's going to be a great play. It might even score a touchdown. It's a great play. But then they just go back, and they, they don't run the play. And then they say they're supposed to love each other. And, and I've had people tell me, you know what? My coworker's a Christian, but they, they're worse than I am. Why would I want anything to do with that? And I wonder, I wonder, can we really truly say, look, Hey, I wanna invite you into what, to, to the, us gathering here at Stone Oak Bible, and I want you to see us as we go about our everyday lives, and we scatter here, and I want you to see us the way that we love, that we're actually doing what God's word says, and we are running the place, and we're doing what God is asking us to do. You know, recently, Justin and I were at a pastor's conference, and a group of us that are that church planters gathered together, and we were talking, and one of the guys stood up, and and he he shared a, a story about what was what was happening in his church. And he talked about how he offices out of a coffee shop and, and he was there one day and ended up striking up a conversation with this woman. And and so they, they're they're talking and having a having a real good conversation and she finds out he's a pastor. So she's intrigued and starts talking to him for hours about God and about the Bible. And he picked up on something as she was talking, and and um, then, then the woman asked him, said Said, "What do you think of gay people? What do you think of gay people?" And the, the, my, our our friend knew that, you know, that this woman was living that that lifestyle, and so so he he said, "Listen." I'm just gonna be honest with you. We believe the Bible is God's word and the Bible says um, that, that homosexuality is a sin and he, he laid it out there very gently and very kindly and, but, but so we're, we're not gonna compromise God's word but listen, I am a sinner and the beauty of gathering together is that we're all sinners and that we're able to experience this grace and he said, you know what? And this is really what got me and, and just stopped me in my tracks and made me really think. He looked at the lady and looked into her eyes and very tenderly said, I wanna invite you to come join us I want you to to see how we live, to see the way we care for each other, to see the radical generosity that we give to each other, to see the way we're serving one another and that we're laying down our lives for each other. I want you to come and I want to invite you into that. Would you please just take me on my word and come and and see this and experience this? And are we able to say that? I, I think that many of us can in our community groups. Hey, we're loving each other and we can invite people into that and to say, look, we're loving with this supernatural agape love of Jesus, we're going to the source of God who is love. And we're spending time with him and we're allowing that to our vertical to ho- affect our horizontal. And we're spending time um, living in the power of the Holy Spirit and opening ourselves to allow God to do in us what we can't do for ourselves. And we're loving radically as Jesus has loved us. And so in, the, the, in closing today, I just think I wanna challenge us. Spend time with the source. Be with the God who is love and allow it to transform us. Open ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And lastly, I think that Nike got it right in their slogan when they said, just do it. There's a command that we're to love each other. It's never gonna be easy. It's gonna involve sacrifice, and Justin just nailed it a few weeks ago, talking about how we do this, because we've already revisited. We need to be people who obey and allow the love of Jesus to allow us to love each other in a way that the world sees what's going on here and that they're moved and drawn to our Savior. Would you pray with me? Father, we recognize that we love because you loved us and we thank you for your love. I pray that it would transform us, that it would move in us and through us through the power of your Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead would empower us to love with the love of Jesus Christ, the perfect love of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that people would look at us and that they would see what's going on in the way that we're caring for each other and that they would be drawn into that. And then we would know that the purpose of your church is to be Jesus on display for his glory and honor. And it's in his name we pray, amen.